0: try to make my mouth the bright side for the blind man it sounds like a let out we will survive in the stock to bullets swim through the waters of babylon like a rebel fish. journey is predatory is credit for our fight from these this first saint drive up
1: is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, all thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live audio. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradio network. dot com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com network. forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live audio there. Also, you can go to a bb mecom That's a b i b i t u m i. dot com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream from Ghana and catch the live audio there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had a Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with a live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at time for an awakening at gmail.com. Again, that's time for an Awakening" at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening it also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you can type in Time for an Awakening Radio Program. There you are always interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that Like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program. With the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs. On Time for an Awakening Media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the bb 2 Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here on this uh, hot Sunday evening, August the 13th, Sunday evening, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, politics and education journalist for the Washington and former author and educator, Brother Sam P.K. Collins, is with us this evening. We'll have an interesting discussion with our author of the book, Babylon Be Still, talking about various issues of importance that affect black people both nationally and internationally. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors.
2: Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. 21- 5-8-8-5-2-4-4-4. That number is 215 885 All insurance incorporated.
1: With your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 7 13 here in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street, Brother Richard. Is with us, Brother Richard? Yes, sir, Brother Allen. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing fine, and and definitely um, looking to be in conversation, with Brother um, Collins again. Uh, it's been a little while, but it's been a lot going on on the continent and here. So I guess this uh, would be uh, an interesting moment to kind of catch up and maybe um, not
1: maybe, but put things in perspective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richard, that's an understatement. Talking about there's a lot of things going on here and, and especially on the continent. Uh, but the thing is, Richard, it's strangely silent from your representatives that's supposed to inform you about what's going on, and especially in the land of your nat- nativity. You know, there's some black folks that figure I'm from Georgia, that's my land of my nativity, or I'm from North Carolina or wherever. But no, you were brought to those areas. Uh that's not the land of our nativity. Other nationalities that are here identifies with the land where they come from. But it's strangely silent among people that represent you what's happening on the continent. And we get misinformation or misleading information from the news agencies about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think, Richard, in my opinion, what's going on there is going to affect both not only blacks on the continent but blacks in the diaspora, one way or the other. Would you agree with that?
3: Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I have to say this, um, Elliot, um, especially in the in the in the context of this moment of, and I I always want to bring in since we're in black, the moment of uh, August and and the point of Black August and the question about you know. The the moment that um, the political prisoners and what that meant in relationship to the broader struggle of of, of African liberation um, to try to center this this moment, if it's possible, in that context, because even if the circumstances does play doesn't play out, we're still based off of what you said. What you said, if we're not prisoners in lockdown, in physical facilities. We are prisoners in lockdown in the information of how the power dynamics is playing out in the world at this moment. And if we are truly supposed to be in a liberatory um, moment for those of us who are trying to free ourselves, especially from cl- colonialism, neocolonialism, or whatever else you want to call it, we need to have the free flow of information and analysis in in this moment in order to free ourselves from this um, insidious system that has held us in captivity intentionally or unintentionally.
1: Richard, before we bring on our guests this evening to, to uh, give insights into a lot of these topics that we're going to talk about this evening. Um, I want to play a uh, clip that we played, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, a month and a half ago, because it kind of sets things up for at least the first area of our discussion. Um, If you remember, Richard, uh, it was in front of a joint session of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats were there, and Michael Langley, who's the head of AFRICOM, was being basically being grilled on what's going on on the continent. And for for lack of a, just using colloquial terms, uh, the United States wanted to know what's the return they're getting on their investment, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I just want to play the audio. It's about three, four minutes. That's going to kind of set up the conversation we we're going to have, at least some of the first portion of the conversation we we're going to have with the uh, our guest this evening. Uh, I want to play this audio, and then I'm going to tell you about four articles that just came out within the past week. Well, let me pull up this article just to refresh our listening audience' memory about what the United States feels, and especially white Americans, white leadership feels about what's going on on the continent. Let me play this clip between a Republican representative and Michael Langley.
7: General Langley, I have constituents that have been scattered across Africa on train and equip missions. So just ballpark in the last decade, how many Africans has the United States military trained and equipped? Congressman, I'll have that I figure. I can get that figure for you. Ballpark, just, you know, how many
8: uh, Congressman, I would be a wild, It would be a wild guess, right? Seems like something we should know, right? Over the years, um, we have trained a substantial number, especially in uh, the Gulf of Guinea uh, states, um, uh, but and in, including like more than uh, ten thousand. It is more than 10,000. More than 50,000? I'd say we're, we're reaching around 50,000 50, okay. at least. And,
7: and, and what percentage of the people we've trained end up participating in insurrections or coups against their own government?
8: A very small number. Congressman, very small number. So,
7: what percentage do you think?
8: I'd say probably l- less than one percent.
7: But it does happen. Right? I, the
8: IMET program is in force, and uh, uh, we've pushed a number, uh, a significant number, through our schools uh, across the. Yeah, and and what data sets
7: do you track to arrive at the conclusion that less than one percent of the roughly fifty thousand that we've trained have participated in coups? Um would be like about five hundred. About 1% of 50,000. Uh,
8: Congressman, you may have that information. I, I don't at this time. But I know
7: well, I know there are some, right? Like in, go ahead and throw up that image. This is uh, Colonel Mamadé Dambuya, and this is a photo of, of him. Did we train and equip him? In Guinea? Uh, by name, I, I cannot identify that. Well, well, that guy in the middle with the big red hat. Colonel Mamadé that that's him with a bunch of U.S. service members outside of our embassy. And just months after this photo was taken in 2021, he led a coup in Guinea and and threw out the, the leader. Does that concern you, Congressman? Core values.
8: It's what we start off with in IMA pr- programs. Do we, we share core values with Colonel Dimbuya? Core values. I will repeat that. Core values. Respect for humanity. Do we do we
7: share those values with Colonel? Absolutely. Dumbuya? In our in our curriculum, he led a coup. We do. Okay, like well, that's a very telling answer. In Burkina Faso, did we share core values with the uh, leader that we trained there who led a coup? It's in our curriculum. We leading stress core values,
8: we request civilian led governance. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Is leading
7: coups in our curriculum? Absolutely not. So civilian-led, question Civilian led, civilian led. My question is do we share core values with the coup leader in Burkina Faso who we trained? Holistically, we teach
8: whole, uh, uh, uh you know, core values, uh, with a respect for civilian governance, apolitical, and that's what sticks across
7: a high, very high percentage in the 90, 90, over 90 right? percentile. But not everybody. And and when it, I wonder how many people it takes to to plan a coup. I mean, initially, you didn't know how many we trained and equipped. Then you said it was one percent. You had no base basis for that one percent number because there's no data set you track. Mr. Chairman, I seek to, uh, unanimous consent to enter into the record. Another U.S. trained soldier stages a coup in West Africa by the intercept. Without objection, so ordered. And I I further seek unanimous consent to enter into the record. U.S. forces trained the Guinean colonel behind the recent coup in West African country, and this is regard to Guinea. Without objection, so ordered. So I guess the, the question is, why should U.S. taxpayers be paying to train people who then lead coups in Africa?
8: Congressman, our curriculum harvest this core values and also uh, to uh, to be able to embolden
7: uh, these countries for a representative democracy but 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 general that democracy isn't what emerges the problem is I know you you may have great confidence in what you're teaching but when two governments have been overthrown I guess how many governments? have to be overthrown by people we train before you sort of get the message that our core values might not be sticking with everyone is it five countries ten we'll, we'll
8: continue with our persistence in assuring but do you think that working? they harbor they, that they harbor democratic norms you, and democratic values just a moment ago you said apolitical.
7: you said we shared core values with colonel Dem- dembuya you said you said that just moments ago in response to my question and his core value seems to be leading a coup so I, I don't think it's stuck. I think we should at least know how many countries we train the coup plotters in. Uh, how many is too many? Because clearly two is not too many. And I think we could use our resources far more effectively than doing this.
1: Richard, we see yeah. here that the United States is over there training and indoctrinating what they consider future leaders of future governments on the continent. That's clear. But something is happening that our people here really need to follow and know about. Because over the past week, let me read a couple of these, and I'm going to bring our guest on because he's going to add some insight onto this. Uh, this comes from The Guardian, August 7th. Leaders, Junta <coughs> leaders in Niger, Niger refused to let top U.S. officials meet with ousted president. Junta leaders in Niger have refused to let senior U.S. officials meet with the the ousted president and rejected calls to restore democracy after last month's coup. That's in Niger, August 7th. Another report, August 7th, out of the the Mali Mali cancels all colonial agreements with France. It's uh, 14 different agreements that has been canceled by Mali with with their former colonizer or neo-colonizer. Here's another report. August 8th, France suspends uh, budget aid to Burkina Faso because Burkina Faso... In a statement that comes days after Burkina Faso and Mali announced that they would consider any military in- intervention into Niger as a declaration of war, so in support of if, uh, in Burkina suppo- excuse me, in Burkina Faso's support of what's going on in Niger, France suspends aid to Burkina Faso and Mali. This was August eighth, August tenth. Uganda defiant after World Bank halts funding over anti-LGBTQ laws. Ugandan president has criticized the World Bank decision to suspend any new funding to Uganda in response to harsh anti-LGBTQ laws and has promised to find alternative uh, funding elsewhere. The president has been in office since 1986 and said in the statement on Thursday that Uganda is trying to reduce borrowing and would not give into pressure from foreign institutions so we got several countries here in the continent that real upheaval is going on against Western powers so it's something going on people That your leadership here, Jeffrey Meeks, who's the head of foreign relations, I think he is, Richard, isn't he? Yep. Uh, Mm -hmm. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the UN representative, Lloyd Austin, and Langley. All three, all four are black. All four of the media had black people all over the United States waving pom-poms when they went in office and when they went into their positions, they don't tell you anything about what's going on there, because their allegiance is not to you, even though they look like you. Their allegiance is to this government and the white folks that put them in power. We need to really see what's going on on the continent, because what's going on on the continent is going to directly or indirectly affect our people here and vice versa. Let's add to the conversation. Politics and education journalists for the Washington Informer, author and educator. And author of the book Babylon Be Still, Brother Sam PK Collins is with us. Brother Sam, how are you, sir? Peace and blessings, family. How are y'all doing? <laughs> was, I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you back on time for awakening, brother. Yes, sir, yes, sir. I'm, I'm ready to discuss. Uh, these very important events on the continent and what they mean for us Sam listen we heard that clip when uh, the joint session of congress was uh, I guess they call themselves grilling and they were grilling Langley about hey what's going on on the continent we're training all these people to be our puppets and I'm using my terms and something is happening where they're not some people are not responding like we thought they would and he was being grilled for it. Now, all of a sudden, within the past month, you see upheavals going on in several West African and Central African countries. Brother Sam, you've been over there. I, I referenced one of your articles, and I'm going to kind of go back and forth with it when you went to Senegal and and uh, and witnessed things yourself. But you're a journalist. You've been back and forth on the continent. Uh, you've wrote issues in reference to what's going on. And you have journalist brethren that's over there. Tell our listening audience exactly what's going on there from your perspective.
9: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Once again, thank you for the opportunity. What's happening on the continent is the result of a proxy war between the United States, China, Russia, and on the yeah and, and on and, and on the side of the U.S. We have uh, France and the other Western nations for the most part. Uh, any coup that has taken place over the last three years, and from my understanding, there's been about um, seven or so, uh, most of which have been successful. Those coups, in addition to other coups that have taken place on the continent, reflect power dynamics that are affected by the so-called Western powers. And they also reflect a race for resources at the very same time. So even though these soldiers who initiated the coups were trained on AFRICOM bases, because AFRICOM has a presence, a very extensive presence on the African continent, even though they were trained, and just like the Republican politician said, um, in a, a, a conversation that I'm still mulling over in my mind because you know what exactly are American values and I think you hit the ball on the head you know American values they want to project and preserve American hegemony on the continent through these proxies uh, these African soldiers who they're training, who they're providing resources to little do they know that these African soldiers um, are are on the ground every day they see uranium and other natural resources being pulled out for French benefit. They're seeing uh, a, a war against the Islamic state being played out that has been very unsuccessful on their end. You know, and they see politicians who share their skin color uh, hoarding resources and keeping people very poor. Niger is um, is a very populous state in terms of birth rate. It has one of the highest, if not the highest birth rate on the African continent. Uh, so we're looking at a very populous uh, nation state uh, with no control of his resources. So even though these soldiers, the people who initiated the coup, were trained by the U.S., and even though they were beholden uh, to the civilian politician or head of state, um, they still took over, you know? And I think what's scarier than... I'm not even going to say scarier because um, I'm not saying scary from the perspective of, of a U.S. politician. I think more from a Pan-Africanist Um, Perspective, the scary part of the situation is that uh, Niger, as well as Mali, and I would say Sudan to an extent, they're playing into the hands of Russia, you know, and people have various views on what a relationship with Russia would look like, but You know, Russia is just as ruthless, if not not more ruthless than the United States. And you got to look no further than the Wagner Group. You know, for those who are not familiar with the Wagner Group, the Wagner Group is a privately owned but state-funded military operation that was initiated by a former colleague of Vladimir Putin. And that's a unit that, um, you know, is dispatched to African nations. They've been dispatched in the so-called Middle East. Um, They were first used, from my understanding, in 2014 during the Crimea annexation when the Russians took Crimea from Ukraine and started what would ultimately be known as the uh, Russian-Ukraine conflict. But the Wagner group, these are Europeans, Eastern Europeans, Russians who are dispatched and to work on behalf of African nations who, who the Russians are allied with so they can work with them and kill other Africans, right, on behalf of these african nations and russia can extend its influence with plausible deniability so as the united or as uh, niger mali guinea burkina faso as they are moving away from france and by virtue of moving away from france and moving away from nato they're playing into the hands of russia so this is the extension of the cold war and just proxy wars that have taken place for a very long time. These nations, they don't have to have war on their ground. They can just use us as their pawns in a bigger geopolitical struggle. You know, so that's exactly what we're dealing with is multifaceted. I'm totally understanding and overstanding of um, the conflict that's at hand in terms of not being able to control resources. But like I said, in the very beginning of my spiel, these coup and these coup attempts, are always indicative of larger geopolitical forces at play. So when you see the chessboard moving in terms of uh, China, Russian, U.S. relations, it's always going to affect who's going to be in power, who who's trying to be in power, who's getting weapons, who's being denied weapons, so forth and so on. <laughs>
1: uh, Richard, <laughs> Richard, you know why I'm laughing. Uh, yeah. Jump in, jump in there, Richard.
3: You know, first I want to say, uh, well, thanks, Brother Collins, for, for coming with us. And I wanted to um, offer, you know, the Time for Awakening audience, um, someone who, you know, has been with us a couple of times, and he's re- written um, a text on the um, power dynamics as it relates to um, the theories at, and going on in on the continent and when I, the geopolitical. And that's um, Professor Earl Henderson in his book, African Realism international relations theory and African wars in the post-colonial era. I think that's, imp- I think this is an important text to kind of get a sense of what's um, going on and even may um, in future discussions and even this discussion help us kind of flush out what you raised, Brother Collins. And one thing that he um, said or a line that I wanted to take was where he's um, in a chapter on Africans international wars, we said regime security, which is more important than state building, as an objective of African leaders. And you know, my, my concern, and I'm just wanted to get your feedback on is two two pieces I wanted to start off with. As you mentioned, those seven countries who are a part of it are uh, within the francophone zone, and particularly as it relates to France. And those countries also, I think you just mentioned um, with Nigeria specifically, or have a very young population, um, the 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 concern I'm ha- uh, they're not concerned. What I'm interested in is that what is it that you how do you see we should look at that in these francophone countries that are anti-France, as Elliot the clips that Elliot um, played, how and they are young. Um, what do what do you think that we should pull from that, if anything at all, um, as we are observing from from this vantage point in the U.S. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Small
9: clarification, small but very important. It's four countries. There have been, from my understanding, seven coups, two of which have been initiated by Burkina Faso or in Burkina Faso. To your question about what we can take from this, um, in recent weeks there have been talks of, Burkina Faso, and Mali, whichever one of those, there's a combination of the four countries, two of whom are looking into forming a federation um, to share resources and to consolidate power. I think that's very important, and I think we need to look at the situation at hand that is brewing between those four nations and ECOWAS, ECOWAS being um, the economic community of West African states. Uh, this is, you know, once again, it's speaking about the proxy war, this is an uh, an entity that is, I, I would say for lack of a better word, you know, a shadow government or a shadow entity of, you know, the French and Nigeria, you know, with the, with this head of state being um, the chairperson of ECOWAS is leading the charge, you know, in terms of keeping ECOWAS troops on standby for a possible military conflict against Niger, And we had the other countries uh, pledge, you know, if not their military troops, uh, just their vocal support, For Niger, and when I say the other countries, I'm talking about Burkina Faso, Mali, and uh, Burkina Faso, Mali, and Guinea, all right? So, you know, this is a moment in history where you can go one of both ways. You know, you can go towards neocolonialism, or you can go towards, you know, uh, revolution, revolution. By definition of uh, what George Jackson tells us in Blood in My Eye, revolution being the redistribution of resources where resources are no longer properly owned, but they're owned by the people. Because once again, it goes back to resources. That uranium that's being taken out of Niger and put into France to be produced or processed, rather, um, they want to bring that back to the people. And you saw that airspace has been restricted, so Air France, can't even come into that African country anymore and they've taken great you know uh uh they they they've made great efforts, you know, those four countries to, to abstain from anything French. You know, and even with negotiations going on right now between um Nigerian Islamists and, 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 and Niger, you know, there's still this um this tenacity out of, you know, the Nigerian um uh, coup leaders to to. to uh uh, uh to stay on their word, you know? So we do see, you know, something happening now, once again, you know, to answer your question, it's a question of whether it's going to be bloodless or whether it's, or or whether if it's even going to amount to, you know, people actually getting their needs met because, you know, these coups are oftentimes, you know, a measure of who can maintain power rather than who can give, who can provide resources to the people. You know, and our people are always very enamored with personalities. We're enamored with speeches. You know, we're very rah-ha-ha, but the long-term implications of what is happening, you know, can be very, very detrimental. And the one thing about us in the Western world, we're very spoiled. And I will say that on the record, you know, those of us African people in the Western world, we talk about revolution, revolution, and... There's a lot more that goes into it than coup attempts. We're talking about long protracted war, having straps out, learning how to filter your own water, you know, growing crops, rationing food, maybe going on a day or two without eating, you know what I'm saying, like bombs over your cities. These are things that we don't have to deal with in the West because the West has created a military-industrial complex that protects us from that while they fight their proxy wars, over in uh, so-called developing nations, so we got to be a very, you know, very nuanced about this. And I'm speaking to those of us who are very well well informed about what's going on on the continent. You know, I think that the best solution would be for African nations to talk amongst themselves, because even ecowas they don't want that smoke, you know, and they wouldn't want that smoke. They wouldn't want to get that smoke because they're acting on behalf of France. You know, Nigeria and the Ivory Coast. They're very gung ho about you know possible military action or even just you know pushing back against what the Nigerian um, Hunter is doing, you know. So we so we got to be very considerate about what we're fighting for, why we're fighting, and who's and and you know and and uh, who is pulling the purse strings, the Wagner Group, the Wagner Group in Mali. We're talking about these Russian underground soldiers raping and executing Africans on behalf of other Africans. When has that ever been okay? A lot to think about.
3: You know, and one and as I as I've been listening to this, you know, these unfold and listening to um, continental Africans is one thing that they've been concerned about um, besides what you raised as far as um, Nigeria being the head of ECOWAS and the new president um, Tinubu um, being, you know, the leader, the military leader because of Nigeria's. Um, close proximity to Niger, and it's close pro you know, where, you know, in relationship to the people and even the, I think it's the northern borders, um, you know, that concern, which goes back to Dr. Henderson's um, point about uh, regime security um, being a concern compared to state building. I'm, I'm saying that to lead up to this question about the coup itself, the coup members. There's understanding um and maybe you're you're more informed about these the coup members would you say that it's the in, in Niger specific is it driven by the generals of Niger or is it driven by the um lower officers, colonels, captains, and lieutenants? Um and, and, and the reason why I'm asking that is because some say that the colonels, the lower officers are more tied to the people themselves and it's the people themselves in the Francophone countries that, um, definitely are anti, um, France and definitely, you know, and, 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 and the question of the West proxy war would be about, um, you know, regime security, you know, if that, that became, they became a destabilizing force. So I'm trying to understand whether the, coup specifically in niger or in general in those places where they have had coups have they been driven by the lower officers or by the generals uh do you, are you aware uh either way on that
9: i'm not totally aware what i will tell you is that there have been uh, ruminations over the last week about some some splinters within the military uh government so you know with a um with a second group coming out of the first group that wants to reinstate the civilian president, so mm-hmm. that's as much as I can tell you. I've been trying to look more into that. Uh, this is something that's been coming, you know, word of mouth uh, via Twitter. You know, Twitter uh, is a is a place to get information. At the very same time, you do have to check and double check your sources. But you know, this is stuff that people nowhere else is talking about unless you're on the ground. So to answer your question. You know, oftentimes there are splinters within the military um, group that's leading the coup. The same thing happened in Liberia. You know, Charles Taylor and Prince Johnson, they went at it and, and, and protracted that war for another few years after they got rid of Samuel K. Doe. Right. So, you know, it, it it's very, you know, its it, it's, it's very likely. But that's as much as I can answer your question. I think it's very likely there are mixed feelings within the military operation about you know whether to reinstate the president or to keep the coup going.
3: And my last question, Elliot and, and Brother Collins, is you know, and in, in just thought you know, bringing up and Elliot, you brought up about um, Mills because I'm 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 concerned about and and Brother Collins, you mentioned about how us Americans and particularly us Black Americans. How we're, you know, been kind of isolated, you know, it may be even too isolated. I would say, um, our political, our geopolitical awareness is, in my arrogance, a little bit too much immature, especially as it relates to, um, the continent of Africa, um, and, and our relationship and the U.S. relationship. But this, this point of, um, Mills, um, um, you know, when you brought up about the, the Wagner group, Mills counter a malign Russia's act um, um, in relationship to Africa. Uh, You know, um, is there anything else that you've heard that, um, you know, this, this act has done in relationship to, again, from this here regime security perspective, American policy as it relates to Russia in these Francophone countries? Is there anything that we you see that we should be more aware of um, um, and have more impact. Elliot said we don't, we don't get enough information. Is this something that we should be more aware of as it relates to Colin, I mean, um, as it relates to Meek, um, Meek's um, pu- pushing forward this bill that was passed um, from the U.S. perspective? I mean,
9: all I can say is watch out for BRICS. You know, BRICS being Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Russia is making its way, and a lot of these countries, you know, they're going to leverage relationships. Oftentimes, as it goes, you know, they're going to sit back and watch how it plays out. They might toe the line between the West and the East, or they might just go straight to the East, as was the case with um, those four countries we are talking about. Uh, Now, as far as the United States and our relationship – You know, I think that the the, the Congressional Black Caucus, and this has been um, our issue, uh, you know, by virtue of living in an ethnocentric society, um, America has positioned itself as the center of the world as it relates to media. And uh, Africans in America, you know, um, our culture gets lampooned and it gets distorted, you know, out into uh, the rest of the world, even, you know, traveling through Senegal, Going to clubs, you know, um, I heard a lot of music from our superstars over here. Mind you, the music was like about eight, ten years ago, but nonetheless, it just shows you the heavy influence, the heavy black American, African American influence, you know, all over the world. that being said, those in the CBC, you know, they're not acting in the best interest Of African people. They don't have an internationalist mindset. Mm. And, you know, that's oftentimes the danger when you have black people in positions of power in the United States, because, you know, they keep bringing in, they talking about the first of the first, the first military general, the first Pentagon person, this, this, that, and the third. But these are people who are, you know, dropping bombs on African countries who are training African soldiers to maintain U.S. hegemony. They're even bringing in the HBCUs into this action. You know, yes. so we have all of this talk about STEM, STEM, STEM. We have our young people going to the HBCUs learning STEM and using what they learn on behalf of the U.S. government against their African brothers and sisters on the continent. So, you know, there's a lot to watch in terms of what um, Congressman Meeks is doing. Uh, it doesn't have any hint of pan-Africanism. You know, I don't think that you know, on the federal level, you're going to find a serious Pan-Africanist just because of virtue of us being, you know, 13%, uh, I think you will find more serious pan africanists politically at the hyper-local level. But federally, that's not going to be the case because, you know, if if they're not, you know, for the U.S. apparatus, they're usually pro-Zionist, you know, uh, what's Whistlin's name? Um, Jeffries, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, It's just ugly. It's very ugly. And, you know, once again, that's by virtue of America positioning itself as the center of the world, you know, and us on the inside uh, really looking down oftentimes at our counterparts in other parts of the world. You know, we ask ourselves, well, why do y'all come here in droves? And, you know, why do y'all do this and that? And, you know, not knowing that America precipitates much of that imbalance. You know, and they, and they and they insulate us from that. But at the very same time, the military personnel, after they finish terrorizing, you know, developing countries, they come back to the U.S. and they terrorize us as police officers under mm-hmm. similar military conditions. But you got to make that connection to people, man, because yes. I'm very tired of, like, even this brand of black nationalism where, like, you have people like nationalists within the United States they differentiate themselves from brothers on the continent, brothers and sisters on the continent. They're going to tell you, well, nah, I'm just about my black folks over here. And it's like, bro, like it it, it, it can't be like that. It can't be like that. This is, this is a global thing because it's global. That that's probably the only aspect of Huey P. Newton's intercommunalism that I agree with. It wasn't race first, but at the very same time, like this is a war that is, uh, 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 international, because you got multinational corporations. They locked in. They don't got to do anything now. You know they got it whichever way, and that's just the fact of the matter. And we're insulated from it in the United States because a lot of the raw resources get produced here, and we enjoy the fruit of that labor even through our phones, and we're hmm. so insulated from it.
1: We're in, <laughs> we're in conversation with politics. An education journalist for the Washington Informer, educator, and author, Brother Sam P.K. Collins. The book Babylon Be Still is available. And we're discussing uh, international and national events. We'll get into some of the national things a little bit later in conversation. Uh, Brother Collins, l- l- let me say this in reference to what you just said. And I am want to pull from an article that you wrote in the Washington Informer on, in June of this year in reference to your... Uh, visit to Senegal Uh, because we see some of the names that you mentioned Meeks Jeffries and others Uh, if we look at the African continent and see what's going on over there and people can readily uh, point to uh, puppets in government people that are doing the U.S. bidding on the continent but they can't see the same thing happening here. It's an it's an internal colony, as Richard says. Our people here, we're colonized, and these people here that as leaders that we that some of our people tend to wave banners for and flags and the first of and the first this and the first that, they're uh, basically playing the same role as you see uh, with some of the leaders on the continent. Now, I want to read. And I'm going to put four paragraphs together of this article that you wrote because I want you to, you, you just talked about it, but I want you to go maybe a little bit deeper and, and in reference to what you wrote. Now, let me read this. This was uh, in your article about the, your visit to Senegal when you seen uh, some of the things that was going on there and the, the response to uh, one of the political candidates that was influencing uh, youth. Uh, what they considered wrongfully, and I think he was jailed or something that uh, that you kind of referred to in the article, but let me read a couple of these paragraphs. It says, because of our collective failure to listen, that is exactly what has happened over the last 60 years under what many understand as neocolonialism. Our African nations, though independent in name, are still attached to their former colonial overseers as well as other foreign powers that continue to exploit the continent and its people, all with the approval of neocolonial heads of state who are backed by these foreign entities. Black people in the United States are not a minority, but part of a global majority that shares a kinship with other Africans on the continent and around the world despite ongoing efforts to divide African people along lines of ethnicity, nationality, and language and culture. I am more convinced of of commonalities in our customs and attitudes that highlight the need for African political unity. By the end of the day, we are Africans living in America, not African Americans that erroneous label has taken us away from our African values in turn, making us our own worst enemies at a time when we need to form a society that reflects and celebrates our true nature. brother Sam expound on that a little bit more. Yes. Yes.
10: Over the last
9: few years, there's been this rush or big uh, enthusiasm for going back to the continent. Um, year of returns, um, boosting tourism, and it has been the promise of a paradigm shift. But a concern among you know uh, many people who've been in the movement, you know, there's still enthusiasm. Don't get it twisted but still some concern that those who are coming over aren't often of the best intentions or don't have the best intentions of establishing ties with their counterparts on the continent. And I'm saying this to point to the monster in the room, which once again is neocolonialism and is, a failure of us to build up our own communities economically. But by the end of the day, that's not really, you know, much of of, of our fault. It's just a reality that we don't control the resources. So there have been efforts to build up the continent. You know, I'm in touch with brothers and sisters who repatriate, who build schools, who establish businesses, who are getting involved. Uh, this is something that needs to keep happening, it needs to happen among more like minded people, and it needs to get to a point where we have enough economic leverage in order to compete with the multinational corporations that have their tentacles on the political system. Because democracy, whenever you hear about the U S preserving democracy or trying to ensure democracy on the continent. What they're saying is that they want a transition of power that appears peaceful on the outside, but one that they engineer and they want to bring somebody in power who is going to um, do the bidding of the U S and of the power, so-called powers. When I say doing their bidding, I mean, you know, signing deals that relinquish their resources, relinquish the country's resources to U.S., to France, to China, to whoever the case is. That's what they mean by democracy. They mean by installing leaders who will relinquish resources and keep the people starving, which is why we need economic leverage. Now, whether that's possible under the current situation, I'm still grappling with because You know, even in the second article I wrote, I said that I'm not a capitalist, neither a socialist. I'm still in the process of studying, you know, African systems, um, you know, that existed before colonialism. I think I'm more of a communalist. You know, I want to see a situation where families can can take hold of their economic well-being and collaborate with other families, you know, But at the same time, we do need to fight this. And economics has been uh, something that black people, you know, and I think in the movement as a whole, we have uh, avoided, you know. um, And it has been detrimental to us. We need to really tackle this issue, you know, about economics. Because economics drives the shadow government of the United States. The banks are the real government of the United States. You know, they're the lobbyists. They're the ones in the cut that wanted to keep the doors open of COVID. They're the ones that drove the interest rates up. They're the ones who have the the uh, the hotel chains all over the African continent. They're the ones controlling the resources, you know. So we need to, you know, consolidate our resources as well and find a way to establish a new system. But we got to do that economically, you know, Um Do it so that people on the continent, they see that you're bringing jobs, you're bringing opportunities, you're establishing trades, trade schools, you're helping them, uh, you know, produce their own food on the continent so that, so that they don't have to see the food go out raw and come back as something that's being sold back to them. It's a very, very multifaceted process, but if we can come back to the continent, you know, showing, you know, that we are collaborative and that we're not there to exploit, we can form relationships that will help us politically in the long run and maybe even form, you know, political parties that are more Pan-African, you know, but it's a long process. You know, I think that it's something that can be done and should be done in some respect, you know, and I I, I think that was a roundabout way of answering the question, but I just wanted to provide a holistic picture about what it is exactly that's holding us back. I think that the overall point that people can get from this is that democracy from the American standpoint, is control of political leaders on the African continent so that they can continue to take resources away. And I'll end by saying this. Uh, Sajjafo Kwame Nkrumah, there was a debate. Somebody recorded this um, among his children. Uh, his daughter and his son, they were debating about whether he was a dictator. And I think that if you look at the word dictator, um, not through the American lens, but through more of an African-centered um, lens of necessity, then you would see that Osarjic and Kruma was not a dictator. Rather, he was somebody who overstood the mission at hand, that as a leader, you have to dictate an agenda. And then, and then, and then you present that agenda, and you do your best to have people fall in line because he understood neocolonialism to be the, to be the last stage of imperialism. No longer do they have to be physically inside the country to control us. They control us through resources, through banks, through puppet leaders. And it's the same all over the country. It's the same in Washington, D.C. They just play it at different levels. So we got to take – so we got to understand economics. We got to get back into communalism. We got to – start entering susus and take it on a bigger level. We got to start trusting one another. And when we go to the continent, we got to go over there. You know, I would say your first two visits, get a lay of the land, get used to it, get used to, you know, stuff being a little slower, you know, power grid shutdowns, things like that. And then maybe a third or fourth time back, start thinking about how you can build something, you know, and I'm speaking as somebody who hasn't even done that yet, but, you know, by the grace of the most high, that could be a possibility one day.
1: <laughs> we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, you can get involved in the conversation by dialing 215 That's 215 490 9832. We're in conversation with politics and education journalists for the Washington Informer, author, and educator, Brother Sam P.K. Collins. The book, Babylon Be Still, but we're talking about various issues tonight, and we're going to transition into some of the. uh, National issues that uh, affect us on the global scale and nationally. We'll be right back.
12: Mississippi Black Liberation Movement, Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, presents the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Building Power Summit, Free the Land, Undivide, and Reclaim, September 15th to the 17th. Jackson, Mississippi at the historic Black Tugaloo College. Portions of the conference to be aired on time for an awakening media, Black Talk Radio Network. Calling all serious black power organizations, revolutionaries, organizers to attend this divine experience. For more information, contact Brother Patrick Lumumba, 662 560 5434, Sister Crystal Denise, 405 361 4751, and Brother Nick Bezel, 512 364 0050. That's the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023.
4: RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding
13: area. Call today 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. IB2Me.com, IB2me.tv, 2 are here for you. You are ready to be free to join your global commit to you black family. To join your interconnected commit to you black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. IBB2Me.com. IBB2Me.tv. ibb metvcom We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation.
14: This problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See? brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you.
15: We have a message to the black man, because the black man today is a man who has been made now almost into a laughing stock. Nobody takes the black man serious, we're just used to be somebody's tool. We are the sportsmen, we're the singers and the dancers, and we're also labeled as the pimps and the criminals, and the drug dealers, and the killers, and the vagabonds of society. We're the bogeymen of British society and other Western systems. And we want to dispel that lie and destroy those myths and put the black man back on the map where we belong. Who is the black man? The black man is the original man. If it wasn't for the black man, no other men could be on this planet. We are the fathers of humanity. We gave birth to all of you.
14: a watchman on the wall. You are too. You watch with a political eye. We watch from a spiritual eye. But we're supposed to be the watchman for the people that vote for us. The sad thing is the people vote but they don't give you the money to run your campaigns. So here come big business.
12: How are you?
1: How are you, Judge?
14: How are you, (laughs) Alderman?
1: How are you, Congressman? How are you? How are you, Reverend?
14: (laughs) What can I do for you today, Reverend? You can't do nothing for me. See, that's what we got to be careful of. We got to be careful of who we bow down to. You see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus, that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap, And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of
11: us yeah. time for an awakening is a proud part of the black talk radio network the number one independent black digital and podcasting
1: platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's eight eleven on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, politics and education journalist for the Washington Informer, former author and educator brother Sam P.K. Collins is with us this evening. And you can join the conversation, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215 215-490-98. 490 32 uh let me grab the one that call us here 602 let's go to 602 602
10: yes good evening brother Elliot and brother richard and good evening to your guest brother calling brother Marcos.
1: how are you sir
10: i'm doing great good brother i'm glad you brother is touching on this topic because apparently it don't seem like nobody in this Part of the world talking about what's taking place here on the continent. Everybody silent. You know, you better talk about a dictator. A dictator. You know, if I may recall, you know, God himself is a dictator, you know. God don't believe in democracy. Because when Satan was up in heaven, he tried to exercise some democracy up there. (laughs) And <laughs> you see what happened to him according to the Bible. God said, uh uh-uh. uh, ain't no democracy here. He said, I'm God, I will always be God and they threw him cast him out of heaven. so dictatorship ain't that bad. But these people here, these people that's talking about democracy in Africa. Um here. What democracy about Niger, 90% in poverty, eh? 90% of the country in poverty. And they talk about democracy. You know, it's hypocrisy. But what I see they're trying to do, they're trying to destabilize that entire region from, from West Africa, straight across to the Horn of Africa. Because if you look at the map, that's where all the unrest is taking place. So why they not talking about going into Sudan? Why the focus ain't going into Sudan, Sudan? where them generals bombing hospitals, bombing bridges, killing people. You know why the hell they are going into Sudan? Nigeria, she can't even she can't even deal with Boko Haram. She got problems in northern Nigeria, and she trying to go into but they may cool oh, that little old man you know because that little old man is a problem he's a problem, but I want to ask the brother um what do you think if that if that situation jump off there and and, and unrest the uh, uh, war break out, wouldn't that allow these Islamists to penetrate deeper into Africa, which seems to be their agenda, because these Islamists ain't black people, friend, you know, Never historically, they have an agenda to push Islam deeper into Africa, which, which wouldn't benefit us. So, what is his thoughts on that? If that unrest breakout, war break out, wouldn't that allow them to further penetrate Africa? because it seemed like these people working together because every time these the 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 the, the, the um, troops have these Islamists in their sight, they have to call France and tell France, hey, France, you know, we got these people, you know, we can attack them. Uh, you know, they have to consult France before they attack these Islamists when they have them in, in, in the cross here. What the hell is going on? You know, if if this if you could speak on that a little bit and I'll mute my phone and continue listening. Thank you.
1: All right, sir. Yes indeed. Brother well, yes, Sam, Go ahead. Give thanks for the question.
9: Uh Africa and Islam, uh I'm not speaking in reference to the Islamic State, but I say that Islam is very entrenched in Africa as is you know Abrahamic religions not now as far as Christianity, Ethiopian Christianity, and white nationalist Christianity are two different things, but in terms of Islam, I think that North Africa and the Sahel, you know they're dealing with a lot of that, you know, so it can get further entrenched. I think that it's indicative more so of the relationship that Islam has had with the African continent, you know, seeing that Islamic slavery. Uh, preceded white nationalist Christian imposed slavery in the slave trade. Um, that's why I say that, you know, African unity and African solving African problems is very important. And I think that this is going to be a test of how well Africans can do that. Because once again, even though people are saying the right things in terms of kicking out neo-colonial leaders, they're still doing it with the backing of non African nations. And, you know, the the Islamic State, these Islamic insurgents, all the while, they're still in there and they're doing their thing. And we gotta, you know, take note that a lot of this, you know, was set the stage for was set long ago with um what they call Arab Spring. So like twenty eleven. Once Syria got destabilized. You know, the Islamic State just, you know, ran wild and they, and, and, and they came into the continent through the Northeast, you know, just doing that thing, you know, nation state by nation state. But it can get further destabilized. And I think to an extent that, you know, some people might say that, you know, that the Western world might want that. But I think that they're a little bit cautious, you know, because war does cost money, which is why at this point, at this impasse, they're they're exhausting other options, you know, such as like using ECOWAS to like make threats and you know and and and, and you know and next you might see sanctions. And I'm not gonna say that I don't see, you know, war breaking out because it's very unpredictable. I can't predict the future, but I do see the Islamic State, you know, getting further entrenched. That's not to say that, you know, they're not entrenched already, you know, at least psychologically. And I really hope that answers your question. I just wanted to give more of a nuanced, um, wider scope view on the situation.
3: And before you go to the next call, uh, well, I just want to uh, well, again raise
1: Richard. Hold, hold, hold it on. Uh, I just want to see whether that uh, did that answer, it, uh, Brother Marcus. Uh.
10: Yeah. 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 You hear me? Yes. Yes, yes, yeah, you know what I say. We, you know, Dr. Clark, how I was saying, he said the African has no friends outside of the race and very few friends within. So we in a fight now for our life cause as he said, we, you know, we have no friends. These, none of these people are our friends. None of them have our interests. All of them want to suck our blood, you know, all of them the Chinese, Russian, Islamic State, Western, So, as the brother said, it's African solutions for African problems. So, yes, you know, I am satisfied with the answer. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your contribution. All right, brother. Great, Richard. Yeah,
3: and I just wanted to raise, um, because Brother Collins and the question that the caller brought up in relationship to what we see now, these coups, in the and I say francophone countries, um, you know, it's about um regime security, like maintaining something. And 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 again, compared to state building, um, and that's the question, because if it's about state building and it's centered in as Brother Smith, uh and Sam, you know, said, if it's centered in African development, you know, from that lens, um state building on the continent using Nigeria And state building here amongst African-Americans is important. But I just wanted to give another line that um, I think is important for us to keep in mind as we're looking at this, you know, from um, Dr. Henderson's um, book on African realism in that chapter of African international wars, where he said African states often experience civil wars, but they rarely fight international wars. And and why the reason why I say that's you know important because we when we're talking about Ecowas um, Nigeria um, and there's problems with you know some concerns even with Tinubu um, who was you know when we talk about democracy because I think that's in the supreme you know in the court in Nigeria as far as you know the, the election itself and and we heard um, Elliot that Stacey Abrams was in Nigeria um, re, um, as an observer for that election. But when we look at, look at that, you know, this, this whole point of, is this, these, um, coups, um, handled by the military, are they truly about state building or are they just about regime security for Western powers under a different, you know, a different person? Um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think this, um, what what Dr. Henderson brings up, that we keep seeing civil wars, but we don't see Africa um, states, those 54 countries unified as an African nation state from that pan-African perspective that uh, Dr. Nkrumah, um had um, thought, thought of and projected for, and you see what happened to him, uh, but you don't see African states in international wars like we talk about China. Um, we talk about Russia. We talk about United States and France. France. These are ta- you talking about those states are being engaged in international wars, even if it's proxy. But African states can only do civil wars. I think that that's important for us to keep in mind. Very good
9: point. It's a very important point, and it all goes back to who's fueling the civil wars. Where are the guns coming from? Who are the power players? Who's making the deals in the back? You know, um, a lot comes out after the fact. But I think that we as a people, we need to start thinking more honestly about that instead of just blaming everything on black-on-black crime because that's exactly the equivalent. That's, the, that's what, you know, civil wars are on the African continent. It's the equivalent of black-on-black crime, man. Yes. And the people who are the power players in the background, they never get implicated for that. You know, they never, rarely do they do they get implicated.
1: Let me let me uh, share this information uh, with our listening audience in relation to what you're uh, saying, Brother Sam. Uh, this is from the uh, CarnegieEndowment.org. It says, "How can the the header is How can the United States better engage with Africa's uh, fragile?" And conflicted states it says in 2022 president joe biden's administration crystallized its new approach to u.s african relations with the conclusion of the second u.s african leaders summit and released the u.s strategy towards sub-saharan africa and the implementation plan the u.s strategy to prevent conflict and promote stability both strategies and uh, during the summit and the administration emphasized the United States' role in advancing peace and stability in the fragile, conflicted uh, states in Africa. Uh, Molly Fee, an assistant secretary for African affairs at the Department of the State, a new interagency strategy for the Shahel is in the works separately. The United States plans to move ahead with a global excuse me move ahead with a conflict mitigation in West Africa under the Global Fragility Act. In response to the passage of the bipartisan Global Fragility Act, the Biden administration published the US strategy to prevent conflict and promote stability. Indeed, many of the countries identified for the implementation of this Global Fragility Act are in Africa. Within the continent, these can be narrowed to Libya, Mozambique, and the region of the United States has de- designated coastal West Africa, compromising Benin, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Guinea, Togo, and the coastal countries of West Africa. The security Prospects of coastal West Africa are intimately linked to the evolution of the security and political context of the Sahel countries. Senegal, Chad, Mali, Mauritania, Burkina Faso, and Niger. So we see here that these European countries, uh, I mean, excuse me, these Europeans are planning strategies to control black folks globally they feel as though they already got you under control here in this country. This is their plans to control black folks globally. And the thing about it, they put it in print so you can read it. Now, uh, just in case that we don't know because they uh you heard brother Sam use that term this evening, Sahel uh countries. Let me <laughs> just share this with the listening audience. In reference to that, the Sahel. This is from the UN.org. The header says The Sahel, the land of opportunity. The overarching goal of the UN support plan for the Sahel is to scale up efforts to accelerate prosperity and lasting peace. The Sahel is a vast semi arid region of Africa separating the Sahara Desert to the north. And tropical savannas of the south. It is a much a, a land of much opportunities as well as challenges. For this reason, the United Nations have come up with a unique plan targeting ten countries to scale up efforts to accelerate prosperity and sustainable peace in the region. The targets are Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Chad, the Gambia, Mauritania. Mali, Nigeria, Nigeria, and Senegal. Oh, uh, it said it. And uh, wait a minute, hold it. I'm sorry. Oh uh, boy, I'm lost. Oh, here it is. This last paragraph, with 64.5 percent of the population being below 25 years old. The Sahel is the one of the world's most youthful regions. Therefore, investments in education and training could yield huge demographic dividends. The Sahel is endowed with great potential for renewable energy and sits atop the largest aquifers on the continent, potentially one of the world's richest regions Excuse me. Potentially one of the richest regions in the world, with the abundance of human and natural resources. So that Sahel area that you heard Brother Sam talking about almost expands the whole continent of Africa. And you hear what they're saying about making plans for your people and your continent. Mm. And that's to
3: sell them goods, to make them consumer, that young population, to take a segment out of that young population and make them consumer.
1: Yes. That ain't to, to, to share no wealth with the African continent. Look what's going doing now. You just heard the brother say that uh, 90% of the people living in poverty. And you might have a leader uh, 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 getting some of the crumbs from the table, but the overwhelming wealth out of those countries is going to European countries whether it's the United States or their brother up there in Europe. Uh, Brother Sam? You know,
9: what I would like to say is that the United Nations as an institution, and I'm very um, pleased that you brought them up, they're not very – they're not very good about adhering to collective security. And I often wonder, I know about um, black activists who go to the United Nations. And from my understanding, uh, there's a group working on a declaration around human rights for African descendants, but the United Nations, and you can even go back to um, its predecessor, the league of nations. They have never been good about collective security as it relates to African nations or majority black nations for that matter. It's always been about when they say the collective, they're talking more so about the European powers or the Western powers that won world war two. And when, you know, you can see the power dynamics, uh, even as far as, you know, voting power and which nations are on the security council, and how often the African Union um, gets overridden on certain, you know, actions. Uh, Because if you go back to the fall of Muammar Gaddafi, the France, you know, the French, they intercepted what AU, what the AU was trying to do in terms of uh, mitigating that situation. But the United Nations as an entity, in my viewpoint, has never really been good about staying true to what they call collective security. Uh, they'll, they'll be there on the scene to dispatch troops to, put, to pass out food and help people in war-torn countries. But as far as maintaining security and creating a power balance that is uh, humanistic, they're not really good at that. You know, And you've got to really think about who's running these institutions and the power dynamics within them. And for African people, you know, once again, we got to ask ourselves as the world is changing and as, you know, these power dynamics keep changing as well, we got to look at ourselves as being independent of that or trying to be independent of that. You can't even fly within the African continent without spending an exorbitant amount of money. You know, some African passports can't even get you to another African nation without getting the visa. They make it very difficult, even as far as transferring money. You know, there's a brother right now who's working on making bank transfers easier from nation to nation. That's the very reason why African leaders feel compelled to attend Af- U.S. Africa summits, Russia-Africa summits, because in every which way we turn, African unity is becoming more complicated so that's why I give grace, you know, to our counterparts on the continent. At the very same time, we gotta take advantage of the of the changing landscape and find ways to unite economically, politically, in whichever way, because the United Nations isn't gonna do it for us. They don't have our best they don't have our best, you know, our best interest in mind. You know, um they just want you there for a vote. And we saw that at the very beginning of the Russia-Ukraine conflict when a lot of the African nations abstained from voting. You know, they didn't, they didn't go the way that the United States or the other powers wanted them to. So, it, you know, the relationship is not equitable at all. And once again, we got to look at this word neocolonialism and how they have been using multinational corporations to install so-called democratic governments to maintain control over the resources while the people starve. So we got to get real economic and real political like when we're talking about destabilizing and eradicating neo-colonialism.
1: Yeah, brother Sam, uh, I I just want to shift gears just a little bit um, because you mentioned uh, in your last visit to Senegal and the article that you wrote in June uh, you mentioned about the clubs over there and the the hip-hop music that is being played um, in the countries and the perception that is given worldwide of blacks here in the United States. Um, they had a conference, and uh, and Brother uh, Obi Ekbona was a part of it um in d c not too long ago, and uh some continental Africans were speaking about their experience uh on the continent before they came here, and a couple of them were adults before they came here, and they talked about uh how they seen and the images that were given of our people here uh call themselves the n word they was using it freely, and they didn't see anything wrong with it. So the images going forth about our people worldwide is a planned uh, uh, activity, so to speak. All planned, in my in my estimation. We we seen here over the past week, last uh, maybe week and a half ago, you had two things happen. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, he visited, after he became uh, uh, the chair of the Democratic caucus or whatever, he went to Israel again for about the sixth time or whatever, and he bragged about it in clips that we played on the program. Well, about a week and a half ago, he went again, and he took 25 other Congress people with him, some black, the majority white. So this might be about his eighth, seventh or eighth visit to Israel to meet with Netanyahu. Almost at the same time, they had a NAACP convention up in Boston where they were discussing strategies for young blacks around affirmative action, around police brutality, around voting rights. And strategy sessions, but it's kind of strange that the keynote speaker was Hillary Clinton. And in some of the breakout sessions, they had uh, Robert Kraft, who is a, a, one of the a, a bigoted NFL owners and a Trump supporter. I think he gave over a million dollars to Trump, although it don't make no difference whether you give it to Trump or Biden. <clears throat> but those people were at a meeting. Supposedly to fashion young blacks on how to fight injustices in this country. Uh, one of the entertainers that was there was Meek Mills. And he talked about his friendship and relationship with uh, Robert Kraft. And the leader of the ACP talked about the mission of the group. Was more about anti fighting anti Semitism than basically helping blacks do anything. So, when we see all these other influences with people that supposedly in our behalf, isn't it the same thing we're seeing on the global scale? And you just pointed it out on the continent and even in other places in the diaspora. Sometimes in the islands, you see the same thing going on. It's a struggle brewing. It's not that our people are giving up by no means. And Richard uh, opened the program talking about Black August. It's a struggle brewing. And the powers that be realize it's a struggle brewing. I think that the stuff that you see now happening is trying to keep a lid or control on whatever happens. Give me your perspective on that as a journalist, uh, Brother Sam, who has visited a lot of these places and have talked with grassroots people. What do you see as far as the movements of our people on a global scale?
9: Uh, our people are, I mean, they're definitely conscious. You know, they know what's going on. Um, I was speaking to an organizer the other day uh, for another story. And uh, this is a brother who works internationally with organizers in the Caribbean and on the African continent. Uh, he told me that oftentimes when he brings up issues that Africans in the United States are facing, uh, Africans elsewhere, they look at us Africans as having privilege and as their issues, not deserving the same prominence, like the situation in Haiti should so, abroad, there is some misunderstanding about what we're facing here in this country. Um, and America is a very big propaganda machine. America uses uh, its money class, including rappers, entertainers, you know, they use them to promote an image of black success in this country that black people abroad think is the end all be all.
0: Hmm.
9: So, and you know, that was the danger of the, um, the return, the year of the return, you know, because of course, you know, the arts and the tourism industry is going to bring people, but at the very same time, the residual effects of that. And even in the post COVID era, you know, Who's getting money from that? Where's the money going? You know, there's still potential for it, but you got to look at it holistically because, you know, there's still a class issue that we have to overcome as a people. And you have people with black skin coming into this country not knowing much about what black people have to endure because they're watching media abroad that paints us a certain way, either as, you know, degenerates or as filthy rich. And it lacks nuance. And because of that, they come into this country and they have to learn the hard way oftentimes or they might seclude themselves from black people or within their own communities, you know, from which they came. Uh, so, you know, the awakening on the continent is because these are conditions that they are enduring every day, and it's not much different than what we have here in this country. In segments of the country, because people go hungry here too, it's just that you can finance an iPhone, you can finance, you 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 can put furniture on layaway. You know, people they you know they look rich, but they probably scamming. You know, they, uh, 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 there's a decadence here in America that hides much of what, you know, goes on. But at the same time, abroad, in pockets of the continent, not to say that people aren't living exuberantly there, but at the very same time, you know, by virtue of resources getting pulled out, it's a bit, it it hits a bit more close to home there, which is why you see a lot of young people rising up because you have young people especially college-educated young people who, once they leave school, the only jobs that are available are government jobs or they're left, you know, government jobs, schools, or maybe even just making the market on the street, selling whatever they can. And this is especially the case in countries that are just bouncing back from Civil War because in these nations, the government is very big but private industry is often hard to get into because, once again, resources are getting pulled out. It's not often that things are getting produced. Raw materials are getting produced on the continent. It's getting produced elsewhere and brought back to get sold back to them. So young people are frustrated. They don't see any way out. So they're going toe-to-toe of the government. They're becoming more conscious, and they're fighting a class war, you know, because that's what it is. It's is an ethnic war, too. But the class war is more propagated on the African continent because it is black versus black. That's the differentiation there, you know. So once again, like I said before, what we can do as African people here is intercept that the best way that we can, you know, by going on the continent at some point and, you know, just making investments, collaborating, you know, showing show some goodwill. I, 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 really know, I really know that to be the future. I definitely know that to be the future. Uh, I think we should keep the momentum going. A lot of people are getting their DNA tested. They're um, applying for citizenship in a lot of these countries. You know, Uh got to point out that Liberia has the Negro Clause, you know, the only African country, as far as I know, that has that, where citizenship is relegated only to those who are black, African descent. So a lot to consider there, a lot to consider there. But uh, the image that gets propagated all over the world of black America is that either of degeneracy or that of exorbitant, uh, 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 of exorbitant wealth. They know our stars just as much as we know them, you know, and they got stars on the African continent as well, you know, and there have been, there have been many great efforts over the last few years to showcase them. But at the same time, just because you got a few of them, Doesn't mean that we still we they're not issues to be solved. So that's the war that we're fighting: the war for our minds and the war for common
1: understanding. Let me read this uh, a couple paragraphs from uh, your article from a couple years ago. It said the header was: "We failed to fully manifest Malcolm X's vision." And this is what you say, uh, um, Brother Sam. It says nationally black artists and athletes handpicked by the establishment as our voices on political and social matters have defined and created for the impressionable public, a movement devoid of class analysis and calls for a true and calls for a true revolution that reaches all levels of the black liberation struggle. Instead of fighting for and concentrating power among ourselves we settle for sparse opportunities to watch corporate-sponsored artists and politicians address our gripes against America on mainstream platforms, even as their actions barely shift paradigms. Such euphoric sound bites, blown up on a bevy of social media platforms, briefly take our attention away from the real-life conditions that prevent us from attain, attaining black unity while inspiring us to emulate these people who ultimately harbor questionable motives along with their advance within the system that holds black people back now this is a solution that you give right here and I'm going to read it reversing these trends and set and setting ourselves along a path where in every segment of our lives and collectively we're advancing the interests of black of the black nation starts with educating ourselves about true nature of the Babylon system that we live under all while talking about the true nature. Excuse me. All the while dedicating our human capital, arguably our most vital resource to eradicating a uh, said system from the inside out through simultaneous, incremental, and methodical movements similar to what the powers that be have used against us. (laughs) Eradicating that system from the inside out. That's the key. It starts in our minds. Brother Sam, add some context to that.
9: Yeah, I wrote that at a very powerful time in my life, uh, just being immersed in the school system where, uh, young people were not learning about the true nature of the U.S. government and about who they were as African people. And, uh, there just wasn't a culture that accentuated African values, African centered values. And it took a toll on me. This was back in 2018. I remember that part of my life very vividly. You know, so I had gone on after writing that letter to reimmerse myself totally in African centered educational institutions. And I would, you know, I I would highly encourage people to support those institutions as much as possible. First by enrolling your children in them. And second, if you're not able to do that by, you know, contributing either resources or money to them to keep them alive. We have Ujima in D.C., the oldest African-centered institution that came out of uh, the Freedom School movement, you know, during the 1960s and 70s. We got Nation House. We got Roots Public Charter School, Roots Activity Learning Center. We got the Sankofa Homeschool Collective. You go all up and down the eastern seaboard. You go to Atlanta You go to any majority black city, there are, you know, schools that are teaching African-centered values. They're learning Kiswahili. They're singing and dancing. They're reading African-centered text. You have people who come out of there who go on to do wonderful things, you know. And that's where it starts for real. You know, COVID was our opportunity to reverse the miseducation of the black child and then we fell for the okie doke when schools opened back up, just for Governor DeSantis and his counterparts in other Republican-controlled states to start taking out what little we had in the curricula across the United States. So, you know, we are the key. We are a major key. You know, I think that we need to understand that more than we have been understanding that. And we are the key because you see the effort right now to miss educate us further through social media about our true origins, you know, by people offering a view that has no nuance to it, you know. And I, for one, am not about denying the indigenous roots that African people have in the states because we have been circumventing the globe long before the 15th, 16th century, you know, but there is an anything but African movement that has been proliferating over the last five years in response to the awakening that has been happening. And that's because people understand the powers that be, understand the power that is within us. If we were to organize and identify with the African diaspora, they know what could happen once, Things erupt on this side, on the inside, Hmm. and it still can. But we need to support institutions that propel African-centered learning and consciousness. That's what it's about. It's about organizing, organizing, organizing. We are not outnumbered. We are out-organized, as the late great ancestor Kwame Torre said.
3: Richard? Yes, yes. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, wholeheartedly.
1: Let me go to a couple of these calls. A six, six four six.
6: Hey, what's going on, Elliot? Your guest and um, Richard. Listen, I would just like to really, really know in regards to these African countries doing business with America, the Wagner Group, and China. Do they realize that they're just being colonized again? That neither one of these countries that they're doing business with are going to do anything to benefit African people and that they need to figure out how to do, you know, what some of the previous African leaders have talked about, like Ladou Mumba and the rest and and what Gaddafi was trying to pull off because it was quite interesting. Like a week ago, I was listening to another um, platform and, you know, they were talking about Gaddafi was a dictator and how he talked bad about Africa and African people and this and that. But, you know, the one question I really wanted to ask this individual who's a a monkey man, twisted sister, what is the job of an African leader? And from my understanding and perspective, it's to lead the people. It's to place the people in a better position than what they're in once he comes into office and to allow for the people to benefit from the products and the manufacturing of the resources within the country, something that America, China, Russia, and France, and no other nation will uh, uh, allow African people to do.
9: I think they know, you know, I can't, I I, I think they know. It's, It's just a matter of what's the easiest at the time. And they might not be thinking three, four or five steps ahead, you know, which is why, which is why it's important, you know, for them. I would say, and I can't really speak to what they don't know. You know, I'm not going to speak too deeply on it. I just know that, like I said earlier, oftentimes there are certain circumstances at hand that make it harder for Africans to collaborate with other Africans. And it might be a resource situation where, you know, there might be a shortage of ammo among African nations or they might not be producing enough, you know, but... Oftentimes it's more so about what's the easiest thing rather than what makes the most sense. Unfortunately, in terms of what's an African leader, you know, and this goes back to the whole democracy thing. We got to look, we got to look at what systems we had before colonialism, you know, and we got to look at, you know, because, you know, even on the continent, like in many countries, you have chieftaincies that are still in existence and those and those you know, in some respect, they take precedence over uh, the government that's in place. You know, so we got to look at, so we got to redefine a leader. We got to think back to our liberty before colonialism, what that means to us. And we got to examine these leaders who are getting installed. Who's supporting them? Why are they supporting them? What have these leaders done? You know, uh, I, I I think that's incumbent upon all of us, no matter where we are because oftentimes popularity is a hell
3: of a drug. (laughs) Hell of a drug.
13: Yeah,
6: but I think, you know, I know you've heard this. I think we've all on this phone and in the audience has heard this, that American, black Americans are supposed to be the so-called most advanced Africans or the planet. I, I in a, kind of disagree, disagree with that. I think the one thing that we lack is with a lot of understanding that we as a people have in regards to the actions and the behavior of this white man, Chinese or whatever non-African person. We just haven't figured out how to, like you said, deal with chiefdom and other so-called leadership and unite to the point to where, as we first prioritize, how do we move forward? Because if you think about it, America is not going to do better by you then Russia will. Russia's not going to do better by America. Chinese is not going to do better. No one's going to treat the African fair as long as the African is divided on the level for which he divides himself. So I think that's the job, in a sense, as Americans, we should be looking to try to how we unite our people back home on how this Chinese and white man and any other group that is not African, number one and foremost, is an enemy. And until we can figure that out and get to the point, we're going to always have this problem because in all Honestly, if we could figure out how to close ranks and unite, we could be as powerful as we wish to be, even though those oppressors have the gun or the weaponry. If we unite as a people, they can't can't eliminate all of us. But, I mean, you know, that's, that's I think the next stage in this game is for us as so-called the most advanced Africans on the planet, which is really BS, to figure out how we could unite our people to the point to where as we don't get these bad deals from Russia, America, and China, because if if there's ever an African country that could unite, other Africans and get them to understand we have to use our resources to build the continent and make it to what it should be with us controlling it. Then I think we'll, we'll have a chance. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I just think we need to look at things a little different in a lot of ways than we're looking at it now and just try to figure out how we could get our people since we're supposedly the smartest people in the in the world to unite. But I, I appreciate the work that you do, brother. I think I think what you're doing is outstanding, man. And you sound like my good brother that comes on every now and then over your boom. You know, another strong African moving forward.
1: Hotel. Thanks for your contribution, brother. Thank you, brother. Brother Sam, thanks for spending some time with us and, uh, going into these issues from a journalistic perspective. Um, looking forward to, uh, reading your work all the time. Uh, let the listening audience know how they can, uh, run. is the, the informer available online also? Yes, sir. Well, yeah, yeah, listen, yeah. get the, the, uh, anything that you want to give out, uh, the floor is yours. And plus, how they can get the book, uh, anything that you want to give out. Uh, before we leave, the, the floor is yours.
9: You can follow me, Sam PK Collins, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Visit All Eyes on DC dot com. You can purchase the book there, or you can also visit Sankofa Video Books and Cafe on Georgia Avenue in DC. You can also order the book online from there. Once again, Sankofa Video Books and Cafe. Uh, I have a Black August event taking place on Thursday, August 17th. I got to acknowledge the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey. Um, August the 17th is his birth anniversary, and today, August 13th, marks 103 years of the red, black, and green flag that was uh, made official through the Declaration of the Rights of Negro People at the UNIA Convention in New York City that attracted thousands upon thousands of Africans from all over the world. So we got to acknowledge that red, black, and green. Um, it's all about universal African nationalism.
1: Peace. <laughs> well, Sam, thanks for being with us, and I'll talk to you soon. You take care,
9: See brother. Later. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for the good reasoning.
1: All right. We'll be right back.
4: RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today
13: 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free. To join your global commit you Black family, to join your interconnected commit you Black communities, escape the digital plantation now, abitumi.com, abitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com TV dot com, We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation.
15: We know that some of us are not afraid,
6: that even though we may be elected, we'll say what's on our mind. But we must understand that we are freedom fighters first, and that all the other things come next. That I'm a black man first, and then a state representative. I don't confuse the two. And I think it's time for us to wake up and realize and understand that you got a lot of us that are willing to go to battle because of freedom will never be free unless we take it. There's too many of us sitting around thinking that it's going to come to us on some damn silver
15: platter. Wake up, you fools, and understand, this man has no respect for you, none, none whatsoever.
14: And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep
16: of the kinds of victories that were won by the Southern Freedom Movement, uh, black people occupy far more establishment positions than they did back in my day, in the, in the 1960s. So in a sense, you also have a struggle with, with, with a kind of black establishment Hmm. that has a vested interest in the status quo. So you're up against an establishment within the black community that we never had to face because it didn't exist Hmm. because of segregation and discrimination. And that makes their task, if they want to organize, much, much more difficult with respect to the black community than what we had to face.
2: Today our people can see that we're faced with a government conspiracy. This government has failed us. The senators who are filibustering concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it's southern senators, this is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. So this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program. philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to uh, solve our problem is with a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Black nationalism is a self-help philosophy. What's so good about it, you can stay right in the church where you are and still take black nationalism as your philosophy.
11: for an awakening is a proud part of the black talk radio network the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform
12: it's coming this is to be black liberation movement elmer geronimo pratt gun club presents the seventh annual black liberation movement building power summit 2023 building power summit free the land Undivide and Reclaim, September 15th to the 17th, Jackson, Mississippi at the historic Black Tugaloo College. Portions of the conference to be aired on Time for an Awakening Media, Black Talk Radio Network. Calling all serious black power organizations, revolutionaries, organizers to attend this divine experience. For more information, contact Brother Patrick Lumumba, 662-560-5434 sister crystal denise 405-361-4751 and brother nick bezel 512-364-0050 that's the seventh annual black liberation movement building power summit 2023
11: time for an awakening is a proud part of the black talk radio network the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform Welcome back to Time for an
1: Awakening it's 9 11 on this Sunday edition and Richard yes yes an interesting conversation uh with brother Sam Collins you know the need for our people to work outside the box uh be an investigative journalists or uh, uh, journalists that looks deeper into these stories that that's necessary richard because uh you know to just be a journalist to spread this propaganda that's doing our people no good at all. We need to go behind the stories, uh, go behind the, the headlines, so to speak, and bring out the real stuff, especially stories that pertain to us and to our uh, moving forward as a people.
3: That is so true, is so true. And, the, and the recognizing that that's another generation coming up. Looking at, you know, what's going on from a, a different
1: perspective with you know the past in mind. Yeah, uh Richard, um uh, looking forward to uh September the fifteenth to the seventeenth. Um yeah. Black Power Conference down in Jackson. You know, um I was talking to uh brother Quadro today and uh BB to me uh had the uh, black the Black Power Conference uh over there in Ghana earlier. And in fact, they're having a follow-up. I think in uh, another couple of weeks, but they had Oops. the uh, black power conference over in Ghana. Um, uh, Professor, uh and, uh, and some of the other, uh, folks that was involved, um, uh, from the different countries in Africa, uh, in July, early July. And I'm going to try to get him on or well, some of the representatives on the kind of, uh, talk about some of the things that was discussed uh, and kind of encapsulize what what exactly is going on. Um, We know from Brother Jume, who said uh, uh, one of the uh, movers and shakers in the uh, Pan-African Federalist Union, that he's going over to uh, tour several of the countries. Uh, I think his first stop is in Uganda, if I'm not mistaken, Richard. Oh, Yeah. Um, so I'll be looking to have him on once he uh, uh, finishes on the continent to kind of uh, inform my listening audience of some of the things that are transpiring because it, it's, it seems to be changing uh, almost like the weather over there, Richard. Uh, it's kind of odd that uh, – well, it's not odd. Uh, you've seen the, uh, that uh, article that you shared with me, the World Bank said that uh, they're not uh, – you are willing to loan Uganda any more money until they change those laws over there dealing with LGBTQ. Right. And if you remember, uh, Kenya followed suit, and so did Ghana, with the same laws or similar laws. So I guess they're trying to send a message to the other African countries in relation to what they are trying to do to Uganda. Uh, so far, Uganda is, t- is holding strong, saying you're not changing what we're doing. And if we don't get money, we'll get we'll, uh, develop sources elsewhere. So, uh, you know, we've seen that uh, this is part of America's foreign policy. It doesn't matter whether it's Republicans, Democrats. It's a part of their foreign policy, even though they show images that uh, – Democrats are for LGBTQ and Republicans aren't. That's not what's happening globally. You know, mm-hmm. I, I pulled up an article here because, I mean, we see what had, had happened under the Obama administration and also with Biden when uh, Kamala Harris and went over to Ghana and was pushing uh, the same American policy. You, you remember when we uh, shared uh, some of those clips, Richard? Yeah. But yeah. Let, let me read this. And this is from 2019 when Trump was in office. Um, And the header says, Trump administration launches global effort to end criminalization of homosexuality. This was uh, from Berlin. The Trump administration is launching a global campaign to end criminalization of homosexuality in dozens of nations where it's still illegal to be gay. U.S. officials tell uh, NBC News Uh, A bid aimed in part at denouncing uh, countries over its human rights records. U.S. Ambassador to Germany Richard Grinnell, the highest profile openly gay person in the Trump administration, is leading the effort, which kicks off Tuesday evening in Berlin. The U.S. Embassy is flying LGBTQ activists across Europe for a strategy dinner to plan and push discriminalization in places that still outlaw homosexuality. Most concentrated in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Middle East. Mm. Now, oh, wait a minute, Richard. It says the U.S. Embassy is flying LGBTQ activists across Europe for a strategy dinner to pl- to push for decriminal to plan a push for decriminalization <laughs> in places that um, that still outlaw homosexuality. In, in Africa, the Caribbean, and in the Middle East. It is uh, concerning uh, Concerning that in the 21st century, some 70 countries continue to have laws that criminalize LGBTQ status, said the U.S. officials involved. So this is when Trump's administration was in power, Richard. Right. So, I mean, it's clear that, you know, to stop buying this political jargon in this shell game, uh, this is American foreign policy. And no matter who's in power, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they're pushing this and you see where they're pushing it. Mm. Mm-hmm. where they want it to go. Yeah. So, um, uh, <laughs> uh it, it'd be good to have, uh, you know, some of the folks back on to kind of round up the stories and go full circle to see what has happened. And, uh, and uh, to kind of get updates on uh, a lot of the activities of some of them and they're organizing. Great. Yeah. Great. I mean, the uh, brother Sam uh, laid it out clearly when he said uh, that, uh, you know, what did he say? We're not uh, out strategized. But sometimes we're out organized. Okay. For- yeah. Go ahead. What'd you say? Out organized. Yeah. I forgot how he put it, but uh yeah, we, we see that they're trying to do countermeasures now. But uh in my estimation, none of this stuff is going to work. Yes, yes. Because right going always went out. Before we leave this evening, just want to give the uh, lineup on top for the Awakening Media, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshie. Always interesting topics and dialogue on African Perspectives. That's Mondays. Wednesdays and Fridays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, later on during the week, and uh, I guess it's especially after the, uh, the summit is over, uh, get Brother Patrick to start the program back up again. That's uh, Thursdays from 7 to 8, Mississippi on the Move, the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi. Brother Patrick Lamouma is host. On Friday time for awakening is here from 8 until from Saturdays from 7 to 9 the elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James as host and on Sundays time for an awakening is back from 7 until I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening lively discussion as always and we'll be back on Friday Lord willing to continue on this path towards an awakening peace peace if
0: you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon. <laughs> or you watching your children play?